This is Talk is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Ah, my trusted podcast host, Gucci. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, my man. Uh, we had just had a great conversation with, uh, with my good buddy, Nolan, from Beyond the Kill. Um, so yeah, great, great day so far. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and I think earlier today you recorded a podcast of with Nolan on beyond the kill as well. So you've got, this is your second one today. Is that correct? Yeah. We've spent a little time in the multiverse today for sure. So we, uh, we did about an hour and a half or so on beyond the kill earlier, uh, where he was more kind of picking my brain about some stuff, uh, kind of got into my background a little bit and then talked, about sheep society stuff kind of throughout it off and on touching on different things um and then yeah we had him on here where we got to reverse the role and we got to poke him for it with some questions and you did a you did a hell of a job with that i gotta say yeah it's always i love talking to nolan i just doesn't matter where when how or why just like when i listen to him when we talk I'm, i'm always learning shit like he he's got such a cool perspective on things he's just got a different he looks at things differently in a good way and i always learn stuff when i listen to him it's uh it's always pretty enlightening having that conversation and yeah no surprise that today was another great convo with him yeah you betcha i just found myself i was like i had a couple couple moments there i wanted to say something and then it's like no just shut up and let him talk he's doing a better job of it than you will (laughs) (laughs) well he's yeah for sure yeah so uh I think most of our listeners would probably know who Nolan Osborne is. He's a guide. You'll hear who he guides for in the podcast, but also one of the co-hosts of Beyond the Kill podcast, which is, I, I hear lots of people say, oh yeah, we love your podcast. It's uh, my second favorite one next to Beyond the Kill. And I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I have to say, I love uh, love their platform. And um you know, when I became a podcast guy, I started listening to those guys. I think them and Rogan, those are the two, two big ones for me i would say so yeah for sure i was in the same boat obviously being a bc guy and stuff then those guys are all from from here as well that helps for sure but uh they've done a, they've done a great job for a long time now so um yeah kudos to them on that and and thanks thanks always adam and, and nolan for your continued support of the society and and wild sheep foundation and rmga and everybody else like it's very clear you guys are in it for the right reasons and uh, i think that's pretty cool yeah, it's inspiring actually. Like I look at uh, you know the bandwidth we get like from from that, you know, we, we're not a sponsor, we're not a donor and they just keep looking after us, plugging us and you know every time I talk to Adam he's like what what can we do? How can we help out? If you need it, pick up the call, pick up the phone and I do sometimes and he responds. He's like, "Yeah, okay." And it's you know, I've never called Adam and him go, ah, I don't think we can do that ever. I've never had that happen. Uh, so yeah, very, very benevolent group of people, great company and, and the kind of, uh, you know, the messaging that I, that resonates with me. I like what they, they say and how they approach things, their perspective on things and yeah, pretty, pretty good group of people. You betcha. Yeah, and we uh, we touched on something too there, a little a little topic. We might uh, try to do some kind of a podcast of some form at the Kamloops show coming up, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, so after you guys listen to this, give us your feedback. Pete's, Pete threw an idea out there when we got offline. I think it's brilliant. I think we're going to try and run with it, but we'll see what you guys say. Communications at wildsheepsociety.com. Send us your ideas. Uh, love to hear what you have in mind there, but uh, we're working on something for you for Kamloops, so... Uh, be pretty fun. So Kamloops is just a short uh, 
less than two weeks away here now. And uh, we got a great lineup for you guys. A lot of fun stuff. I know Pete's been working hard. Uh, we just came back from the northern. We had a great trip up there, and uh, really solid conservation show to support wild sheep in the north. Um, so I'm totally stoked about that. Um, I, I guess we just want to throw a plug out there for our wild sheep raffles. If you guys want to help out, if you're in BC, buy some tickets. Uh, that money goes to support our conservation efforts. That directly drives our conservation initiatives in BC here. So if you're if you're interested in a real cool hunt, we've got a desert bighorn sheep hunt out of Mexico with Sierra El Alamo, a polar bear hunt with um, uh, in the Northwest Territories. That's a wicked hunt. Uh, you get to experience the Inuit culture and uh, yeah, how many people have gone hunting f- for polar bear. I, I certainly haven't. You well, I can, I can touch yet? on that, Kyle, I, and I get I get on it here on the on the Beyond the Kill podcast with Nolan. If, if anyone goes to listen to that one as well, uh, I did. I was fortunate enough to spend a couple of years in the Arctic and and up in Nunavut and stuff. And I've had close encounters with polar bear, and I've uh, seen that Inuit culture firsthand myself. And I can mm-hmm. definitely tell you, uh, if you go on that hunt, uh, you will remember it for the rest of your life. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what else we got? We got a grizzly or a caribou. It's not a combo hunt. You can pick one or the other. Thanks, Robin Rutledge, for that. Um, you can you can pick uh, one or the other, but uh, Midnight Sun and Outfitters, great, great organization, longtime supporter of the society and the foundation, um, and a great opportunity to hunt uh, either a, a grizzly bear or a caribou with them, and you're going to kill a giant, either one. And then we also have our fourth hunt is Silver Sage Antelope uh, out of Alberta, pronghorn hunt there. You're going to shoot a beautiful uh, antelope out of there, like high 70s, 80s type thing. And uh, Billy Franklin's been a longtime supporter of the society. And last but not least is our Barney's Ultimate Sheep Camp. This year we've really done it up. We've got a fierce rifle in there. Uh, It is the Ultimate Sheep Camp, thanks to our sponsors uh, out of Alaska, their Barney's uh, Sports Chalet. So Kevin, Dana, and his team, uh, great support. So anyway, um, Wild Sheep Raffles, go to our website and click on Wild Sheep Raffles, and you can get yourself set up. Uh, You only have a couple more weeks. We're going to draw that March 11th at our show. Somebody's going to walk away with the hunt of a lifetime. And last but not least, volunteer opportunities for Sheep Counts. What's going on with that, buddy? Yeah, you betcha. I'm People may have noticed online there on just on my own personal side of things, I'm putting calls out for volunteers and things of that. Um, basically looking to create regional volunteer lists throughout the province uh, because we've got sheep counts coming up in Spences. We've got sheep counts coming up on the Fraser. We're looking at doing sheep counts in other places of the province. We're looking at doing volunteer stuff all over the province. We just want to do more across the board. I'm trying to get organized with it. So if you're interested in any capacity whatsoever with volunteering with the Sheep Society, uh, reach out and I will try to get you sorted. How do they get in touch? What's the best way? Is it uh, through Serbay or do they want to go direct to you? What do you want? Them yeah, to- I don't want to put too much on Serbay's plate. He does so much for the society as it is. And uh, he, I think he will appreciate me saying that. So, um, you know, he's... He, and, and also, you know, as, as a side note, if you do phone him, he's going to talk your ear off. You're going to spend half the day with him. So that's something to be aware of. Um, but, it, you know, in all seriousness, you can reach either one of us, I think. Um, you can get me online if you can. We have it. It's my contact info is everywhere. If, if you haven't found it by now, then you probably can't contact me. So um, good enough. Uh, reach out and I'll get you sorted and look forward to working with you for the benefit of wild sheep and everything else that calls the mountains home. Awesome, buddy. Okay, well, 
Uh, and we have a bunch of really cool volunteer opportunities coming up for you. And um, it's front and center for us. We know people want to get out in the landscape. And so, you know, Pete's really working hard to put this together. Um, and we actually haven't had a chance to talk to you about this, Pete, but we're actually going to do a seminar in Kamloops around this volunteer thing, um, our Kamloops Lake South Thompson project. Um, we get, we have a 45-minute pre- presentation there that we're going to do, and obviously people can come visit with you there. So with that, episode 115, what do we call the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Nolan Osborne? That's right, yeah. Enjoy the listen. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Yeti. Thank you, Sitka Gear and Yeti, for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Nolan Frickin' Osborne. Welcome to Talk His Sheep, buddy. Finally got you on the show here. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. I think that's a little bit too generous of an introduction, but uh, appreciate it nonetheless. Pretty stoked to, to have you on the on the call and to have Gooch here um, leading the way as well. So we, we have these pronouns that we use uh, with this podcast, and I see you have lizard. Is there a story there, buddy? Or if you're, if you're going to use it, you're going to have to defend it. So. Shit. Uh, no, there's actually no story. I just, I've never, I think it's the first time I've ever logged into something that had that as an option. Uh, so, you know, I, I thought Pete would get a kick out of it. That's all it was. Yeah, yeah you bet. I sure did. Well, I think. Thought you would go with frog. Our, our listeners. Well, you know, they're both amphibians of sorts. I guess <clears throat> lizards are actually reptiles, but semantics. <laughs> so just before. For this one, we did a cast, um, and it was uh, the uh, Wilderness Local Boys, and uh, and one of the guests was uh, the Nanny Killer. So, um, you know, if, if you're going to use the pronouns, you better be ready to defend Fair them. Enough. But uh, anyway, it was a bit of an inside joke there, and um, and needless to say, we're not killing any nannies intentionally or anything like that. We're pro-billies, but... Uh, um, so on that note, I guess, you know, unintentional, but uh, we just kind of stumbled right into... Uh, Billy's and and I guess you know a thing or two about that. It's funny we were looking at the record books recently. I was talking to Gooch about this this weekend, and see your name's pretty high enough putting that book in BC here several times. What the heck's going on there? Well, you know, even a blind squirrel finds the odd nut. But uh, no, I I I just entered. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I just entered uh, my Roosevelt elk this past fall into the into the wildlife record book of bc and um and while i was doing that i figured hey why not why not throw my two billies into so yeah yeah that was good i mean i think the you know that northwest corner of the province where i've hunted before in the past um they definitely produce some good goats and it's a little bit easier to find book goats there than maybe some other places so i've been fortunate that way but so are you I know one of your hunts was late season. Are they all late season or some of them? I, I think they are, right? Because you guide, you're guiding the other times, so they're late season. Yeah, that's the only goat hunting I've done for myself was um, was in has been in February. Yeah. So. Hmm. Okay. So, do you need Abby training to do that stuff? Did you take Abby courses, or you just were really smart and careful? Uh, the first year I went, I didn't have any avalanche training, and I don't think it was really smart and careful. I think. I mean, I think it was just a little bit ignorant to maybe what some of the risks were, and and generally speaking, it's not too bad when you're the, when you're in there. Um, it's certainly not the same as say going backcountry skiing or snowboarding. Um, 
and not having any idea what you're doing. But since I have, uh, you know, in the last five or so years, I gotten gotten fairly into backcountry skiing and took avalanche training. Certainly now I would say if someone asked me, Hey, I want to do a, a winter goat hunt. Do I need avi training? I would say, yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not a huge time commitment. It's not a huge, um, cost either to do your AST one. So in my mind, it's sort of, it's not even as much about, you know, what you're putting yourself at risk. It's more, you know, if you get into a situation, then you're putting other people's uh, putting other people's lives at risk if they have to come in and rescue you or your partners or whatever. So I think for the sake of you know how much time it takes to do it, it's a smart thing to do for sure. And uh, you know, I've never looked into it. And ironically, I've got a goat hunt this month. Um, I'm not, <laughs> not sure it's going to come together because I don't have a plan yet. But uh, still trying to put it together. Um, I got drawn for. LEH just east of Kitimat, nice. uh area there. And yeah, I want to go, but uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, luckily, one of the guys I want, I'm going to go with, he's, he does have some experience in, in that time of year in the backcountry. And I don't know if he's got official training or not, but um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I am a little reluctant. I certainly, if I was going on my own, I certainly wouldn't be doing it without taking some sort of training. Yeah, it's good. I mean, if you can have people there who, or can make smart decisions and stuff as well. A lot of it's just terrain avoidance. That's that's most of what you learn in your in your AST one is basically what's a what's dangerous, what's not dangerous, how to assess that, and how to avoid it. So probably wouldn't be a bad idea to offer a course like that for you know for the society if we were to put something on like that. Get get an instructor up and do a course or something like that. You know, probably in a, around a pub night. How long is the training when you take? I think AST it was one? like two days, two full days. Yeah, so it is a little bit more involved. They usually run them on weekends, though. But, um, I mean, it's a great thing. Anyone who's, you know, a backcountry user, snowshoer, anything like that in the wintertime, it's just a great thing to to know how to do and and kind of – it basically teaches you all the stuff you don't know, really, is it just opens your eyes to, like, hey, how much terrain is potentially bad. And, And I think it's a good course for anyone to do. Yeah, right on. Cool. On the list of things to do for me for next year, I guess. So very cool. So let's talk about the guide life. What's, uh, what's new in your world? Um, I know lots of our listeners probably listen to the journal and, and know probably more about you than I do. And not that I don't listen, but I don't listen to every single one, but, uh, let's jump into what's new in, in your world. Who, um, well, I just got back from, uh, well, to the sheep show where I saw both you guys in Reno, which was a blast. Um, and then right after that, I went down to Tiburon to join along on a hunt. Um, I, t- I talked about this there on the, on the journal podcast, on the BTK podcast, but, uh, yeah, I got invited to go down to Tiburon and tag along on a hunt, which was, which was really a special experience. I mean, I think the place itself, the people that I was with, the desert hunt crew, um, and then, you know, it was nice for a change too, for me to not be guiding because you're sort of, I don't know, guiding is one of those deals where you're so switched on all the time that it's almost kind of like you're just going through these, there's a lot of parts of it, the side stuff that you're just going through the motions and, and you certainly, you know, take in all the scenery and everything, but it's not the same as when you're really just an observer. And it's been a while since I've been on a hunt, um, where I didn't have a tag or I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was supposed to be a key part of that hunt. Um, you know, and so it was a it was yeah it was really awesome to just kind of step back soak everything in 
you know, be in the back, like the client and I kept joking or he kept joking that we were the third wheels because everyone else was sort of glad, you know, making the decisions and calling the shots and, um, great for me too. Cause I, uh, you know, I've got a background in photography and it's really something I haven't put a lot of time and effort into in the last decade. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll take some photos here and there, but it was fun to just run around with a camera and, and shoot photos for, uh, you know, basically two weeks in Mexico and, and really have no, not for any other reason than just to shoot photos. It wasn't like a, Hey, I need to get some photos of, of this piece that we're using of this brands or just there to, you know, have fun and, and make memories. So it was pretty incredible. You were, you were there with a, another guy that I happen to know, Nolan, um, who's a pretty experienced sheep guide. Um, yeah. what is, what is a, what's the biggest takeaway you got from, uh, from having a hunt with that fella? Yes. Feel free to introduce him too, if you want, it's yeah. all, it's all good. So, so, uh, Kelly Robertson is a, uh, I believe a Manitoba native, like that's where he was born and raised. And then, and then he's been in, um, pause for a second here. How's that? Can you guys hear all that scraping and shit? No audio is clean. Okay, nope. cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I was down there with Kelly Robertson. Uh, he had brought the client down to Tiburon. Um, he's a guy from Manitoba originally. He's been a Northwest Territories, Yukon, and BC guide, I believe, for the last 19 years or so. Um, and, and a great guy. So we had a ton of fun down there together. I, was, I, I jokingly gave him the nickname The Legend. Um, so I was, I was ribbing him pretty good every time he'd say something i'd be like you know it's not every day you get to hunt with the legend kelly robertson um but no nah, it was it was a blast like he's a really good guy i mean i think one of the interesting things about guiding is once you break out from being a wrangler um and start guiding for yourself at least where i work you don't have a lot of opportunity to kind of collaborate on hunts with other guides or i guess maybe not collaborate's the right term but you don't have a ton of opportunity to work with other guides more experienced than you certainly you spend time you know in places like the wild sheep society bc shows you meet other guides and and in reno and in base camp and stuff like that and we'll chat but it's not really an industry where you get to work with people who have that much more experience very often um so yeah really cool for me to just you know hang out with a guy who's been doing it since i was a kid basically and uh and see some of how he operated and it's just things you pick up on right like i think the more experienced guys have the more um relaxed they become in the field and the more yeah i think just kind of like less pressure and it's kind of like look and you know especially on tiburon where you have that density and that quality of sheep then you know like all right well there's it's not like a rush to be like well is this the ram you're kind of you know if it's not you just keep walking and you're gonna find more so that was pretty interesting yeah i got the same the same experience last year at arctic red there where you know, there's just, and Kelly was working up there last year is where I first met him. Mm -hmm. um, but just that same thing. And I think it's funny you mentioned that about Tiburon, just the, when you kind of have the the numbers that you had there, because Arctic Red is kind of the same way with, with all of their animals um, in the sense that, you know, if you put in the effort and, and spend the time, you'll get rewarded at some point. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I was yeah super fortunate to pick up a lot of a lot of information from some guys that have uh, just a an amount of experience that yeah mind boggling. 
Yeah, I mean, that's always something that I never, I'd never try and take for granted. I think, you know, it's easy when you're in these moments and you're talking to people, even in places like the Sheep Show, um, you know, a lot of the celebration, I think, in this industry happens towards the hunters themselves, and rightly so. We wouldn't be we wouldn't be out there on the landscape without them. The outfits wouldn't operate, <clears throat> and and a lot of those folks are the ones that fund a lot of our like really big ticket conservation um, things in the, it, you know whether it's in this province or nationally, internationally. But you know, I think there's a lot of that's there's a lot of the story that doesn't get told is of the guides. And so for me, whenever I get the opportunity to sit with people like, uh, you know, Kelly Robertson or guys that I work with up north who've been doing it for 15 or 30 years, or I'm sure Pete with you working with Al Klassen up there this year, like, you know, just to be able to sit and have a beer and hear some of the stories that come out of guys like that is it's always, uh, you know, always entertaining and also something, you know, to kind of hold on to because that's part of the history of, of sheep hunting in, in North America for sure. Yeah, you betcha. And I, I think that uh, a really big takeaway I got from those guys is that they were all more excited about you coming with success than they were about themselves. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. When you get a crew like that, that's a very special thing, I think. It's awesome. Yeah, you bet. So, Nolan, you know, with this, you talk about the guide life and, you know, you're a hunt, you hunt on your own as well. I know some guides just guide. They don't even hunt. I know most do. But how is that for you? Like, I've heard you talk a little bit about this before. Like, it's it's almost more rewarding for you to get your client a, a, an animal. And then and then the one thing that I always think about with you is that, you know, you, you guide all these guys. You've been on in this great sheep territory and, and stuff, and you've never killed one yourself. So... Um, talk a little bit about that for us and, and your perspective on it. Yeah, I have, um, you know, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I feel like as time goes on, I have, I spend less time hunting for myself and it's not because I don't have the desire to, uh, I think like anyone, as they get older in life, they take on, you know, a little bit more responsibilities and, you know, when I was 23, I was living by myself on the island and now I'm, you know, I'm married and, and I'm away a lot too guiding. So <clears throat> you got to put your time in at home as well. And, and certainly you want to, but, um, yeah, I think it's interesting. Like hunting for, for myself has definitely changed. And I think now I'm usually just as happy to go if a buddy has a tag or, or if I'm guiding something like that. I think a big thing is that you know, and this, this kind of stuck out to me when we were hiking back to where we get picked up by trucks on Tiburon. So we, we'd got this Ram and we're hiking and it's kind of all of us in a line or whatever. And I was been chatting back and forth with the client and he stopped and looked at me and he goes, you know, two, like after two years straight of planning and dreaming and all of this kind of stuff, like it's an, it's an amazing Ram, but it's kind of sad to see this come to an end. Like knowing that it's done and now what right like we hike out we go to base camp we have some fun and we go for dinner back in on mainland on the mainland in mexico and stuff but then you fly home and you're back to work and i think that's one of the things one of the greatest gifts of guiding is that the hunt doesn't finish because the next one just starts and then by the time you know at the end of a three-month season by the time your last month your last hunt finishes you're so worn out that you're ready for it but i think that's that's certainly something um you know in my own personal hunting that i've found is 
has changed it where you don't have that drive to really tag out early because then you're kind of like, all right, well now what, you know, now I just go back home and it was all this, this grand adventure that I dreamed about for months or weeks or whatever is, is suddenly over. So I think that's one of the things that I, that I really do enjoy about guiding and I still love hunting for myself. I mean, I got out deer hunting with a bunch of buddies in, um, in November last year and I've got a spring bear hunt planned for myself before the bear guiding season kicks off. So I'm looking forward to those, but, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely shifted and I feel like I, uh, now it's more just about being out there, being out there, having a good time with my, you know, my friends, or if I'm, if I'm helping out someone with a bit less experience, that's great too. And, and with clients and I just love being out in the field and hunting. So when you, when you are on a hunt and you take it out, take a person out and you get them a ram and, and you've like, you've basically given them the ram, right? Like you're like, okay, go here, lay down here and pull the trigger. And I know there's some clients that are really proactive and then others that are mm-hmm. like that. Right. So you, but you know, yourself, you've never, you know, you, you're still part of lesson one and, and that sort of stuff. Is there something where you're like, no, I, I really, 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 it means a lot to me to go and kill it. Like you, you're probably responsible for dozens of sheep dying that you just didn't pull the trigger. That's the only thing that you did not do. Is there something where you say like, I really need the sheep or is it, is it something you don't even think about? Don't really care about. You just want to be part of the process. Mm. I kind of ebb and flow on that. I think, um, certainly when I was younger, when I first started wrangling and then first started guiding, I had jumped at any opportunity to, to hunt sheep for myself. I mean, for us, it's pretty much, you don't really have any time left by the time we were done the season. I think there's typically two days left for stone sheep. Um, I've put in for bighorn tags myself in the past down, down South, some of the later draws, um, I'd never drawn one, but as time has gone on, I feel less, um, I don't know if it's desire, but I feel I, it doesn't, I don't feel the same pull towards it. I think now I would still really, I would like to hunt stone sheep for myself at some point. Um, but I think it kind of needs to be the right country. And I think that's, that's kind of what I've come to, to realize for myself is that, if I'm going to hunt stone sheep for myself, like if I'm ever going to get a stone sheep ram, I'd love to do it in the country that I've guided in. I've loved, I would love to do it in the country that has meaning to me and that I've spent time in and that I feel a connection to, um, more so than just the drive to say, put a ram on the wall and you know, nothing that is in no way saying that I think I'm above that or anything, but kind of like you alluded to, you know, I have had the opportunity to be a part of, to be a part of a handful of sheep and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll continue to, if I maintain good health. And, um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, I think there is an element probably early on where you feel like a lot of it is a test to see if you're capable. You know, I think maybe even subconsciously, if you're not consciously aware of that, it's this, it's this test to be like, Hey, can I go out and do this? It's this wild giant environment and, and this incredible species. And there's so much that goes into it and training and preparation and guys talk about how hard it is. And, and so you want to know, you know, can I do that? And then I think once you know, you can, um, yeah, it, it kind of just changes, it changes that aspect of it. And then it's more about sort of, you know, if, if I get to tell that story myself, if it, if it was up to me, I want to tell it the way that I, I want the story to read the way that I want it to read, as opposed to just getting to the ending. Wise words, brother. Wise words. 
Um, I know my I'm kind of really similar in that in that regard too, and I've talked to you a lot in the past about this and just like a quest for an older RAM. Like I don't mm-hmm. I could care less what it would score or whatever, and uh, it's more about just going out there and spending time in that country and and being out there than anything else to me. And um, you know everybody can do whatever they want and stuff. Like there's a, there's rules and regulations as long as you're abiding by those, then whatever floats your boat, I guess, right? But mm-hmm. um, it's I think yeah. I think there is definitely something to to the thought around, you know, that it's a special thing to go stone sheep hunting and um, y- you shouldn't take it for granted necessarily, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, with you, with regards to, you know, you just recently got married here and, you know, there's been that evolution. Do you, is this something you see yourself doing 30, 40? Are you the Ellen class in the industry? Or are you the guy that has kids and taps out, you know, you what does that look like for you? Have you felt any changes since you've been married? And what do you look like moving forward down the road? Yeah, I, honestly, I don't know that anyone else is Alan Klassen. I think he's kind of on his own level there. Um, <laughs> but it's certainly something that I don't, I don't ever see myself not doing. It's hard. I've tried to think about, you know, what else could fill that gap or something for me. And, um, you know, not to say that, anything else is impossible but certainly there's nothing else that pulls me the way um the way that guiding does and you know i think long term i'd like to see myself in the position of being an outfitter and and owning my own outfit um i think for most guides in the industry that's the most sustainable way to keep doing it after you do have a family and all that kind of stuff but um certainly you know getting married hasn't changed, changed our plans around my guiding seasons and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I'm actually taking on more this year than I have ever in the past. I'll be guiding a full season for spring bear this year. And it sounds like possibly some, uh, November, November goats as well somewhere. So we'll see. Right on. So you've kind of had a taste of a little of, you know, a bunch of different stuff, sheep, mostly mountain stuff. Is there something that stands out for you? Like, is there something, a a reverence of a particular species that you enjoy or, you know, you've done bears now, that sort of stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting. I think everything has, um, I think everything has its own, its own kind of piece, bits and pieces that you can really enjoy. Certainly I've been very fortunate to guide in some incredible areas. Um, you know, areas that, that generally speaking, don't see a lot of human traffic and have pretty undisturbed game populations. So that helps. Um, I, I will, I do love sheep hunting. I'll always love sheep hunting. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's accurate to say that I think that's like the pinnacle of hunting or the best hunting out there. Cause I, you know, I thoroughly enjoy hunting moose in the rut with horses and, uh, I love hunting mountain goats, like mountain goats are, I've always kind of felt like mountain goat hunting is like hunting sheep, but without the pressure. Um, so yeah, there's, I, I kind of love everything. I mean, up there, I would say the mountain stuff, sheep and mountain goats are probably two of my favorites. Uh, like I said, I mean, I love hunting moose in the rut. Part of that's just after climbing mountains every day for a month straight, you're pretty stoked to sit on a horse and, and cruise around in glass. And, um, and bear hunting's fun too. Like I, it's a totally different, it's a hell of a lot easier guiding bears than it is, uh, you know, running a horse string in the mountains, but, um, it's, it's also very enjoyable and, 
I think part of it too is just you, it's the fun of of seeing new things and spending time out there. Whether it's you know hunts I've done with Pete in the past, a good buddy of mine, and enjoyed that, or or meeting new people and and kind of being able to share that experience and and share some of your knowledge with them. Yeah, there's no t- uh, very cool. Well, I was just gonna say there's no uh, there's no bad time to be outside, right? And um, you can if you can fill your boots, you know, more weeks than not, then. Uh, you're doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. So you talked about spring bear. So that that's I guess that's probably with Ben and Arcadia. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, that's oh. right. And then you guide. I think the majority of the work you do is with Terminus, yep. right? In the fall. Yep, Terminus Mountain Outfitters. I've been there for. Well, I've been working for Craig since I started in the Yukon. Two years there, and then I guess six seasons in in BC. Cool. So you were down at Sheep Week this past uh, January, and you were at the booth. So. Is that the they does Craig have you come down there because you're truly a legend through the journal? You like people know you and you like you're, you're or is it because you're one of the longest serving guys or is it uh, you know you're good with people? What's kind of because to to me like that I think that'd be a pretty cool privilege to be asked to go to these shows by by your boss that's got this outfit and stuff like that. I, I thought it was pretty neat that you were down there representing. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely a privilege. Um, to be able to do that and i think it's I, I you know i don't think it has anything to do with the with the journal stuff necessarily um and i think it's it's a little bit of you know craig and i have obviously known each other quite well over the years he's watched my my growth from being a, a wrangler that didn't know anything into a guide and um you know it's a little bit my availability versus some of the other guys and i think uh you know if I was being completely honest, I think I'm a, a pretty decent people person and can speak to people and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, there's, you know, some of our other guides, a lot of our other guides have families, they've got kids, they're busy. Um, yeah. All right on now with, with regards to the business, you know, we had the COVID stuff and, you know, of course there was this big backlog and I'm hearing, you know, we're looking for sheep hunts for our fundraisers and stuff like that. It's hard to get mm-hmm. hunts. Um, is that the case with you guys? Are you guys booked up years out? Are you looking like booking in 25, 26 or how does that look? Yeah, for, certainly for sheep, I believe we're fully booked for 23, 24 and booking into 25. Uh, that's pretty standard. I think for, you know, any really reputable sheep outfit, you're going to have a two year wait list. Um, every once in a while there'll be openings, certainly, you know, COVID through a jammer and all that and, and kind of pushed people around a bit. Some folks they were booked in 2020 came in 21 or 22. Uh, so there was a little bit of that. And we also had folks, uh, you know, pull the chute as well and, and drop out, uh, due to Canada's vaccine, uh, regulations or restrictions or mandates, uh, however you want to phrase it. Um, so there was a little bit of that, but yeah, right now we're, we're pretty steady booked. I think every, every sheep outfit is that's, that's more reputable. And I think for the most part, we try not to book too, too far and into advance. Like, you know, I'm sure if you wanted, I'm sure every outfit, if they wanted to open their books into, you know, 26, 27, they could be filling slots. But as you know, most folks are aware, just the way things have gone in, in, in the recent history with the province, uh, you know, I don't think you want to be taking deposits that far out in advance. You don't really know what might happen, whether it's weather, uh, you know, political stuff, die offs. And then as well, um, 
yeah, you also don't know the, the, the way that prices are going to change. And certainly that's one place like, you know, within the sheep industry, we've seen, we've seen prices climb drastically over the last eight to 10 years. Um, so in some ways an outfitter, I think is sort of kicking themselves in the ass if they, uh, if they do book too far in advance, because they could be booking at what they think is going to be the price. And then they could be 20,000 more. So. Yeah, and the cost of even just the cost of running the business going up too, right? I mean, oh, yeah. you kind of shoehorn yourself there. I know from talking with Tavis at Arctic Red this year that, um, you know, the price to get lumber into, you know, up there into camp and stuff like that, it's atrocious. Like the, the cost to buy anything in Whitehorse or, you know, it's just ridiculous. And so, um, yeah, prices are going up everywhere, but, you know, that's not new. It's not just hunting and not going to change anytime soon, most likely. Oh yeah, absolutely. All those remote outfits like Terminus and and certainly Arctic Red, uh, you know, the cost just to get groceries in is 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 greatly increased because you're flying planes in, and you know, cost of groceries in the north is even more expensive than it is in the south. So there's a lot of that for sure. How's it for getting guides? Like, is it hard to get manpower? Like, you know, we see that down south here, and granted, it's a niche market, right? Like in and probably a coveted one as well, but how hard is it for them to get guides in these, uh, in these outfits now? It can't be that hard, Nolan. They, I got hired this year, so. <laughs> well, maybe that's, that's either a sign that it's not hard or that it is hard. Um, no, I think it, you know, it's, I don't think it's hard to hire people necessarily, certainly for wranglers. Um, you know, we get new wranglers just about every year. We get a couple new folks in every year. Um, I think to find good experienced guides is not that easy. And, and we saw that in, in 2021, right? The 2020 season shuttered the doors for a lot of folks. And I think there's a lot of folks out there that were guiding for a long time that just made a full-time switch into some kind of industry uh, and just said, look, you know, I got to pay bills. I got a family. I got this and that and, and, you know, found some good jobs for themselves and 2021 rolled around. And this is a little bit of my own speculation, but I think some of the, um, I think some of what we saw in immature ram harvest in, in the guide outfitter community was due to a lack of experienced guides in the field and a lot more wranglers being thrown into a position of, of guiding than they would have normally. But I think it's hard if you want to find experienced guides because most most of them are tied up places, right? Like, um, you know, any anyone who's worth their salt as a guide is is going to have a welcome a welcome home in just about any outfit if they haven't made a bad reputation for themselves. So, for the most part, it's kind of like a "why would you leave" sort of deal. It's not like there's a lot of us floating around without employment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really cool. So, you know, has. Uh, have you when you go out now in the field like for example with terminus have you seen a a significant age difference like a bunch of like relatively newer people as opposed to to older guys or no with with really no i mean we we have uh we're very fortunate uh craig did a great job at keeping us all employed during the season i know he lost quite a bit of money that year but his his main goal was to uh to have all his guides busy and working and you know he knows that that that's a big chunk of our income every year and it's without that i mean what else do you do right there's it's not like most of us have other jobs you can just 
that expect you to stay the whole three months when you're gone. Um, so we were fortunate that way. We've had, for the most part, the same crew for you know, six years. And, and there's a handful of those guys that have been there for even longer. They'd worked at that outfit for, you know, probably close to a decade before that. So, um, so we didn't really see any change that way, but, um, you know, I, I, I was aware that it was happening in other places. Uh, okay. So what's going on? So you're what, co-editor of the beyond the kill podcast. Is that the correct terminology? Yeah. That- co-host, uh, co-whatever. I'm an assistant to the uh, assistant right. manager. <laughs> right on. So obviously Beyond the Kill has been going forever and you guys do a fantastic job. One of my favorite podcasts by far and I hear that all the time from our listeners. Um, what's going on over there? What's going on with you guys? What's new? What's uh, what's going on in the future? Let's talk about that. Yeah, so I was actually just on, I'm sure anyone who listens to the podcast probably was aware, I basically haven't done anything with it since about May or June last year. I made a few a few guest appearances here and there, but um, I was pretty much on an extended vacation this fall and early winter, which was nice for me. I did some traveling and, you know, honeymoon and then away, sheep show, or, yeah, Reno, Mexico, all that kind of stuff. I was just floating around, but... Um, I'm back in the seat now, which has been nice. Good to kind of get a little bit more uh, routine into things. And, you know, I'm not 100% sure. We've got a few a few irons in the fire that we're working on that we can't really uh, get into quite yet. But as far as, the, the you know, the, our usual stuff, we're still churning out podcasts. And, you know, you'll hear me talking probably lots about sheep, uh, the occasional rant, maybe a bit about reloading and stuff like that. And but really just looking forward to that, but it'll be a short, it honestly will be a short stint for me this year, uh, with the BTK stuff, because I'm basically, uh, got another two and a half months here and then I'm taken off to, to guide again. And then I got some family stuff to, to deal with back East or I guess that sounds bad. It's my younger brother's wedding in June. So I'll be back East for that. And then back up North for the guiding season. And it'll be November before we know it. You enjoy the uh, the podcasting stuff and what you're yeah, doing? Yeah, I do. You know, it was, um, I've probably talked about this at some point before, but it was, it was something that was really hard for me to get into at first. I basically took it over uh, or, or, you know, co started co-hosting it out, out of a necessity uh, because of some of the changes in the industry and, and how we saw funding uh, and where it made sense to, uh, you know, just pay me to do things. Um and I think I had a lot of, you know, I was self, I was pretty self-conscious about it at first. I don't really love to put myself out there that much. I like to be, I like to float around behind the scenes quite a bit. Um, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with attention being on me. And so I had a lot of feelings about that. And, and especially as a younger guide, I certainly didn't, and I still don't, but I didn't want to come across as someone who's like, oh, well, I know everything about this. I'm the expert. You need to listen to me. But, um, I like to talk. I like to talk to people about hunting. I like to BS about hunting. And I think I quickly realized that it was, that's really all that was is, you know, I'm there to interview people. Sure. I can add my own stories to it or whatever, but, um, you know, I, it's, I'm sure you find the same thing. It's just, it's enjoyable to have conversations with people and, and kind of pick their brain. And especially as, you know, someone who's newer in the guiding industry, like what an honor to be able to have some bigger names on there and, and just 
ask them whatever you want. It's a thing, it's an opportunity that a lot of people don't get. And um, so I've, I've come to quite enjoy it. And, and it certainly doesn't feel nerve wracking or anything like that anymore. It feels pretty natural. So I've always found it ironic because um, I'd asked you a few times to, I think he, the first time I asked you was to do a podcast at one of our pub nights for one campfire. And, and you're like, I, I don't really want to do, do that. And I'm like, what, why not? And you're like, well, I just, I'm not really comfortable speaking in front of a bunch of people. I'm like, what are you, I'm like, you're so natural. You're so good at it. Right. So it was like, it really took me aback that you didn't want to, like, I just thought you'd be naturally comfortable in front of talking in front of people. I'm like, there's literally tens of thousands of people that listen to your podcast every yeah. week. And you're like, yeah, but I don't have that's to look right. at them. That's right. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's changed, but I remember that you asked me, I was like, I mean, I'll do it. If you guys want me to do it, I'll do it. But I certainly don't feel comfortable with the idea of it. And I was nervous as shit for that one. I remember that. I was sweating bullets. Yeah, well, it was, the audio quality wasn't great, but it was a great podcast and great venue, Just, but it was a little noisy in there as all. But um, yeah, it was pretty cool. And I thought that was really neat. We'll have to... So I guess, yeah, I, I'm not sure when we're going to drop this, but it'll be before Kamloops, but we should... Uh, you're going to be at Kamloops, right? Yep. I think you bought uh, yep. tickets. Yeah, so we should we should try and do something. I don't know, collaborative for for Kamloops. Think of a guest or something, and uh, maybe I don't think maybe necessarily doing it in front of everybody or something like that. But we should think of something for Kamloops. See if we can come up with something, and maybe maybe if BTK wants to do something, and we do a joint one, or I don't know what that looks like. But uh, maybe for our listeners, if you guys got any ideas on some guests that could, we could have, I think we have to do it on Friday because Saturday's so bloody yeah. busy. But uh, if you're going to be up there on Friday, it'd be pretty cool to do For that. sure. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I've often, uh, as I've said before, I think you guys do an absolutely fantastic job. And, and I know Adam feels the same way and, you know, always happy to try and support in any way we can. Yeah, well, Pete and I talk about this all, all the time, how lucky we are with uh, the support we've gotten from the journal and Beyond the Kill and you and Adam. You guys are both, you know, elevated members and always just keep doing more and giving more. And it's uh, pretty, pretty exciting. And, and, and you guys, it's not just the society, you know, all the work that you guys do to support the Wild Sheep Foundation as well. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty inspiring. I wish there was more more people like you guys doing this sort of thing. Well, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see because it seems like there really are like even, you know, some of the younger guys, although, you know, it feels like Tanner and I are the same age. He's a few years younger than me. But, you know, seeing a guy like that start to build his business and then come on as a as a conservation partner with you guys like that's huge. That's super inspiring for, I think, everyone. Right. And just goes to show the work that you guys do, the quality of the work that you do and, and the support within this community, which is pretty exceptional. Yeah, well, we're again. Pete and I talk about this a lot. How we're we feel pretty privileged the the support we get and and we don't take it for granted. You know, it's uh, we know that there's a lot of great organizations out there, and I could just you know go through them and and that we get a piece of that. We're pretty pretty darn lucky, and we we take it pretty seriously. So you know, we we talk about this. We feel we have a pressure to perform. People are entrusting us with their hard-earned dollars, their time, their talent, their treasure, and, and we can't take it for granted, and we don't. So we, you know, it's something I know our board and our our volunteers, they every day they're thinking about, you know, we got to make sure that this counts because it's pretty important to us. So It's yeah, awesome. Definitely shows. Cool. cool. So now on that vein, you, you do a ton for, uh, you know, a bunch of conservation groups, but for us in particular, um, 
where does that comfort conservation ethic come from? Is this something you grew up with, Nolan? Like, um, or because mm. when you came out, like you you hunted deer and stuff on in Ontario, but when you came out here, you weren't you you were not a diehard hunter like you are today, right? No, I mean, I yeah, certainly not. I loved hunting. I realized that that's what I wanted to do for work. And I mean, that's the reason I moved to BC. I wanted to become a hunting guide. Um, but I wasn't, it's nothing like I, you know, where I'm at right now for sure. Um, and certainly I didn't, I wasn't raised in a hunting community that, that was really a part of big conservation stuff. You know, I think when I was younger, when I was really young, before I was aware of it, my uncle was certainly part of like the local rod and gun club active with that kind of stuff. And they'd go to banquets and, um, but I think by the time that I started hunting, he was quite a bit older and that had, that had fizzled out a bit for him. I don't know if the rod and gun club themselves had or, or what the deal was there, but, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I really took to until, uh, until I moved out here. And then certainly like, you know, Adam invited me down to the sheep show the first year for me to try and get a job as a wrangler and, and then, uh, becoming a part of the WSSBC. And I think part of it is you know, the community that exists there is such a, it's such a, like an open and, and great community. People are willing to share and everyone's so excited about sheep and conservation work that, you know, when you're coming into that as a, as a relatively new person that doesn't really know anyone, it's, I think in a lot of spaces that can be intimidating and, and it just didn't feel that way for, um, you know, with the community of, of sheep hunters, both at, through the wild sheep foundation in Reno. And then when I heard guys saying, Hey, you got to come to Kamloops, um, you know, and that's what I experienced there. So certainly a little bit of that. And then also I do feel strongly that as a guide, as someone who, you know, to put it bluntly, I, I make a living off of the death of animals and sheep specifically. Um, you know, I, th- I think that it, it basically is, I need to give back. Right. Um, Certainly, I'd, I'd like to be able to give back more than I do financially, uh, but, you know, we do what we can and, and you try and step it up as as that works with your lifestyle. But no, I do feel strongly that, you know, anyone out there who's who's in that position as a guide, you know, if you're making money off of that, you should also be giving back into it because that's, you know, for one, it's, I guess, somewhat self-serving, but it's also what's right for the animal and what's right for the environment because it's not... I mean, I'd be, yeah, I, it would be erroneous for me to say that I'm not in some way uh, benefiting off the exploitation of wildlife. So I think with that comes the, um, you know, comes the responsibility to try and ensure that that wildlife is also there for future generations. I, I had, uh, you're not alone in that, yeah. Nolan. I had a couple of guys, um, a couple of guides, I should say, uh, that I was talking to down in Reno um, they've been, you know, reaching out. Uh, one of them signed up recently as a member now after the Northern and things of that. So you're not alone in that sentiment. I think there's, there's more guides out there that are looking at what we're doing here at the society and, uh, they're seeing the good that we're doing for sheep and, and they're taking notice. And that's pretty cool to see because, uh, as we see everywhere else, like the more we can collaborate together, the, the further we're going to get. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah. And I think too, like for us, for the society like if we can be that binder that brings everyone together and you know this is i guess maybe a little bit of a taboo subject i'm probably gonna get kicked in the butt for it but you know there is a bit of a disconnect with uh guide outfitter resident hunting you know the society's always been i've heard it before i've i've said to guys well why don't you join 
the society and guys are like, well, you're, you're a resident hunter organization. And then I, I go and talk to a resident hunter and they're like, well, you're, you, you just support the guides. And, uh, you know, you, you hear it from both sides. Right. And it's like, I think that's the one thing as an organization that hopefully we can and continue to do is bring people together, um, bring guide outfitting and resident hunting community together. But, you know, well beyond that too, like other organizations, um, first nations, you know, if we could sort of get on the same page and I feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect. Um, I don't know if BC's worse than others or better than others. I really don't know. I can't compare, but I think, you know, the more that we can sort of, you know, it's a bit of a kumbaya stuff and a, you know, pie in the sky, but I think we really need to start getting our act together because, you know, wildlife can do a little bit better in BC. I think we could all agree For on sure. that. And I think if we all sort of started going in the same direction, we'd probably do a little bit better job. Yeah. No, I'm with you 100% there. I think there has, um, I mean, anyone in the province who's involved in hunting would know that there's been a long standing rift between uh, guide outfitters and residents. And, uh, you know, that's unfortunate. And I also know that there has been, like you said, right, there's there's folks that, that see the um, the Wild Sheep Society BC as uh, either a resident hunting thing or, or for guides. And I think you guys have done a fantastic job over the last few years. I've seen that as a guide in the industry. Um, you know, your ability, Kyle, and, and some of your directors to be able to start to bridge that and open up conversations and start to have relations with guide outfitters with, uh, you know, the first nations and, and other, other organizations that, you know, you wouldn't normally see, uh, the hunting community sort of align with, but at the end of the day, I do think that we all have the same passion and we're all, we're all fighting for the same thing, which is, you know, more preservation of wild spaces and, and more wildlife on the landscape. So I agree with you there. If we can, the more we can come together on it and, and try and look over the dis the differences the better it is for the wildlife and the better it is for us yeah so what like in your opinion nolan and i know you see you know you you've been involved with other organizations and you know for bha as an example and you know i hear this lots of times that people are really uncomfortable with that organization i've heard that mm -hmm. before um and you know and then you hear the other side of it like you know other organizations too i'm not singling them out but but really, at the end of the day, they're all hunters, too. I, I don't quite understand quite the angst around it. I'm not sure what your feeling is on that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I'm I'm not personally involved with BHA. I used to go to the, the pint nights and stuff they did, they did down here. But um, as far as I know, those have been pretty dead since kind of the end of 2019. But um, I think, you know, as hunters, we are very passionate about our beliefs. Um you know, and it's a big part of our, often a big part of our identity. I mean, most of us would probably say this isn't a hobby um, for ourselves. It, it feels more like a way of life or a passion or, you know, a calling or however you want to phrase it. But I think because there's so much emotion tied up in that, uh, you know, despite the fact that we, that we do as a community often like to talk about, you know, how we're, how we're trying to use facts and science and stuff to, to work against emotion when some of these clashes happen, we're still coming from a place of emotion in my mind. So, um, I think a lot of it comes down to that, right? And and people don't want to feel like someone else is trying to take away what they have, whether it's their way of life or, you know, their opportunities and, and all of those kinds of things. And yeah, I, you know, it's a tough one, but I, th I think there's a lot of it that comes with that with certain organizations. Um, 
you know, I personally, I think a lot of the, the, the sort of beef uh, maybe with, with BHA within this province is that um, from what I've seen, it's sometimes maybe not completely, it feels like it's not in touch, right? And, and you know, it's a, in that case, it's not to pick on them, but it's a younger organization within this province. And as you guys know, volunteer organizations take an absolute ton of work and anything related to wildlife and, and conservation is, it's not as simple as just saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. We need the money. Let's go do it. Like there's all kinds of layers of bureaucracy and yeah, I mean, like, it's, I don't need to be telling you guys that. You're the masters of it. But um, I, I think maybe there's a lot of that, right? And and you see you see these organizations pop up sometimes that maybe just don't necessarily align with everybody's views or, or they don't have this. Certainly predator hunting is always that contentious point, right? And, and I think BHA really tries to market themselves to newer hunters. Um, and that's often sort of a hurdle for people who didn't grow up in rural areas, uh, to get around, you know, why is it necessary to predator hunt or why do you do this? And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's a, that's, that's a whole different conversation in and of itself, but, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I wasn't picking on BHA, yeah. but I just, that's the one that I've heard kind of most commonly, but, uh, yeah, just curious on your perspective on that. And yeah, I, I do agree with what you're saying there. Um, so Nolan, when you look at the industry and like you've been in it for a while now, you like you said you've you know we worked in the industry uh, on two different levels on a comms level through Beyond the Kill and then obviously in the guide outfitting industry, and you've been around long enough and you talk to a lot of people about it. You know when you look at BC and you look at hunting, you know what's some of the biggest you know your biggest concern, your biggest challenge um, with with the, our community with what's going on out there? Is it animals on the landscape is it uh you know the anti-hunting rhetoric you know there's a lot of stuff but what do you see like if there's one thing you say i want to fix this what would that be Mm. it's a great question i would like to see us find more of a common ground with with people with differing opinions um and I know that's difficult. It's hard to sit across the table from someone, you know, especially as a guide when you, when that's your livelihood, you know, to sit across the table from someone who says, Hey, I don't think we should ever be able to hunt grizzlies. Uh, that's a tough conversation to have. And it's a tough conversation to try and stay grounded in and, and not feel emotional and not feel, uh, you know, fired up and, and like other people don't know. And, and certainly I think there's a lot of that in, in this space, uh, in the last few years, I think there has been a lot of, um, you know, people without a lot of information, you know, being involved in decision making that, in my opinion, they shouldn't. But I do think the only way forward for us uh, is to try and to try and find more community, to try and find more common ground. And we're not always going to agree, you know, but I think it's important to try and find the things we can agree on. So maybe, you know, and God forbid the day ever comes where, you know, we're sitting down with Raincoast and agreeing on something. But in a case like an organization like a Raincoast or or someone like that, um, you know, to be able to maybe look over some of the things like them saying, hey, we don't want you to hunt grizzlies. But to be able to come together on an idea of saying, well, look, we also don't want, we we collectively do not want all of this area logged or for this to be turned into an open pit mine or we want this, you know, this sheep habitat to be protected or whatever it is. And, and I think 
for me, that would be kind of the goal is like moving forward. We do have to have space for, you know, for everybody to an extent, um, but really just try and find, you know, commonality and, and try and work together in, in whatever way we can. Because I think there's so many, you know, whether we're talking about climate change impacting sheep or, you know, our province growing and more development, um, industry issues, whatever it is, like there's so many things working against wildlife in our province that I would hate to see us um, as a community just put our foot down so hard that it, that it, you know, ends up driving us out of these conversations. And again, I think that's something you guys do really well is, is be able to come to the table with, you know, tact and, uh, and to be able to hold space to have those conversations, maybe with groups that you normally, that the average hunter might not be able to. So. I was kind of my next question. Uh, That's where I was headed, uh, and you just nailed it right there. Is you know, if you're going to come to the table, and you know, people say, well, you know, we we look at the anti hunting community like they're one extreme, and we're the mm-hmm. other. Like we want to kill stuff, and then there's the other that they don't want to kill anything, and then there's kind of the middle ground, right? So if we come and say, well, you got to concede something, then you know, it it would behoove us. So you'd think that, well, then you got to give something up. And, you know, the one thing we've always hung our hat on in the seven tenets of uh, the wildlife management model for North America is science-based wildlife management. And I, I'm seeing a creep on emotion, right? People want to rule with mm-hmm. emotion. We've, we've seen a lot of allusion to that, a lot of talk about it. So far, we're okay on it, but it seems to be eroding in some capacity. You know, where do we concede? Uh, you know, are we comfortable conceding? How do we meet that middle ground more effectively? You know, I, curious to how that and i think about it a lot this is something i think about a lot but it's like yeah but do we give up one of the most important things and something that's proven to work for wildlife you know um how far are we willing to go yeah that's a tough one and and honestly when you're talking in as much as i said everything i just said when you're talking about conceding it it made me think and i'm like well i don't see like i don't want to give up something unless there's a valid reason you know, of course, if stone sheep are threatened in this province and we need to recover them, stop hunting them. If that's, you know, if, if that's always the, the answer that I would give for that. And I think, you know, most of your audience, most of your, um, you know, membership would agree on that. Uh, but I don't know, there's like in, in a perfect world, in my mind, it's like, okay, well, can we jump over top of the conceding part and just try and focus on preservation of wild spaces and, and, and wildlife like that to me is the that's where we can always find common ground uh you know and the back and forth of like well should you be able to hunt this or should you not or can we do this that's always going to be a difficult place for us because that's who we are as people we are hunters you know we don't it's not the same experience despite what you know sort of the anti-hunting in air quotes faction might say it's not the same experience to go photograph something in a national park if it was we would all do it you know, it's certainly easier. You don't have to pack anything out. You don't need near as much gear. Um, but that's that's not the case. It's in our DNA. I mean, that's like, you can't, I do not think that you can fight, you know, whatever, millions of years of evolution and just say, hey, that's not who I am because it is. But I think at the core of all of this is is everybody's desire to preserve wildlife and the importance of it and to see that in a lot of the world 
they don't have what we still have in chunks of British Columbia. Places like the Muskoka management system, you know, we often as as residents, as guides, it's easy to take for granted what that is. But, you know, the amount of clients I've had that have come in and said, this doesn't exist in the United States. Even when you look at the, um, uh, like the Frank Church Wilderness or something like that. It's a fraction of the size of, of what the Muskoka management area is. And there's a lot of people in BC who don't even know that the Muskoka management area exists. You know, it's the size of Ireland, I believe. It's it's a huge, massive, ecologically preserved area. And I think that's incredibly port, important. And for me, at least, like, I think that's, that's something that we can always have um, we can always have that sort of bond with, with other people with, and, you know, even if there's someone who says, Hey, look, maybe I don't, maybe we can come to a place where they say, I don't necessarily agree with hunting, but I think what you do is right. You know, in that your drive to preserve the environment and, and to preserve these places and the wild animals. And, you know, we can come together on that. We can join our dollars together. We can join our efforts together. For me, that's kind of the ideal because I don't think we'll ever win the back and forth of, you know, is hunting right or is it not? There's just the world is full of too many different opinions and we're just one of them. Yeah, really well said. You know, the one thing that, you know, you mentioned all that and the one thing that a uh, question that I've struggled with a bit, and you, you, I know you've thought about this a lot, and you've you talk about it a lot, is is the argument of you know why do we look like they say hunters look after wildlife or animals only so they can kill them? That's that's your sole motivation, which uh, we know the truth is like you said, you know you 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 find as much pleasure being out there guiding somebody as you, you don't need to kill anything. How do we? How do we get away from that narrative? You know, we hear that all the time, and it's like that's one of the biggest things that I struggle with is is trying to defend um, what we do and and like no, we, like we we truly want to see animals on the landscape, and I, I don't need to, I don't need to ever pull the trigger again. I like the option to, but I don't need mm-hmm. to. How do how do we articulate that to a group that thinks that we're only after the bloodlust? We just want to kill stuff. That's a tough one. I mean, I think there's there's maybe two answers to that. One is, is a direct answer to what you're saying. But I think another answer to that maybe is that even if that is the case, if we're leaving the environment in a better place than where it started, is that not a net positive? Because we're not, you know, it's easy to pull, pull data and show that we're taking a fraction of, of, you know, what that population might be, right? I think, you know, you look at the grizzlies and and our annual annual harvest was, I don't know, something like, say, 350 bears a year over 42 years out of a population of 15,000. So, um, you know, sometimes I, th- I think you'll never win that, ar- like that argument or conversation or convince the other side. But, but maybe if you can convince them that, like, you know, regardless of that, we're, we're, we're giving a net positive back, right? Because if you preserve, like, I mean, you guys are a great example of this. If you preserve sheep habitat, you preserve all habitat. It's not like you're just saying, Hey, you know what? I want to preserve, uh, say, and not to knock on steelhead in any way, someone's probably going to have an issue with this. But if you say, I want to preserve steelhead habitat, well, you're also, you know, that that's probably not also musky habitat or pike habitat or marten habitat or, you know, bald eagles and moose and all of these trickle down things. But when you preserve 
sheep habitat, you preserve everything. And that leaves the environment better for every single animal on the landscape. So uh, to me, I think, you know, I, I'm the same as you. I often think about that and I wonder, and it's hard to, you know, it's, it's a hard one to land on, but I think one of the answers to that is that at the end of the day, if we can leave the environment better than we found it, then it's a net positive regardless of, you know, if we take a few sheep along the way, if we take a few moose along the way. Sage words, my friend, very, very wise, uh, wise words. I like it. I'm actually going to use that in the, um, intro for this thing. Beauty. Very cool. Um, okay, so what do we got uh, on the horizon? Spring Bear. Um, so we got our Kamloops show in March. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be there? Um, spring Bear. What else is on the horizon for you? This I got a Spring Bear trip planned uh, with Lauren Trousdale, who I know you know well, and then uh, Matt Ward as well, which will be good because Wardo and I have never actually hunted together. I've been on a hunt with him before. Um, you know, when he was hunting mule deer, I was along to kind of help spot and 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 help out in any way I could, but we've never hunted together. So Lorne and Matt and I are going to go hunt bears on the Island, uh, at some point in April, we haven't nailed that down and that'll be fun. Um, I love the Island. I, I lived there for four years and that's kind of where I first started to cut my teeth on, on hunting in BC. So it's always had a bit of, um, uh, it's always had a bit of a draw to me that way. Pete and I have, have spent some time bobbing around in the salt water and an inflatable out there too. And it's just good. I mean, bear hunting so much fun. I, th- I honestly think everyone should do it. It's easy. It's laid back. Uh, you know, you really don't need a lot of gear to get into it. It's a great thing for youth to do, to, to get them out there, to be able to see animals and all that. But I've always enjoyed bear hunting. So I've got that. Uh, that's going to be a bow hunt too, which is totally new for me. So I'm sure I'm going to eat a lot of words that I've expressed about bow hunting over the years. Uh, and I don't have Yes, any, you will. Yeah, yes, you will. I, I don't have any <laughs> illusions that, uh, you know, I'm going to come out of that that's successful but you know it'll it'll just be good to get out there at the end of the day so i've got that i'm really looking forward to uh the kamloops show i think everyone is like i mean obviously you guys are sold out probably quicker than you normally are on that um you know it's been since 2019 since we've all been together so i know a lot of a lot of folks in the community are kind of buzzing about that and and i think i expect some pretty big things there as far as the money we can raise and also just the conversations we can have with folks i think that's that's pretty exciting um yeah as as far otherwise for me i mean i'm playing around with uh with some rifles right now with some hand loading and and that's been something i've got into in the last few years that i've really enjoyed and then I've also got a little bit of a project on the go with a with a new barrel for my guide rifle. Um, I'm going to switch it up a bit. It's got a sh- it's got a pretty short barrel on it right now. It's a 338 Win Mag with a 20 inch, and so I've i found a heavier contour barrel, and and I'm going to kind of mess around, and we'll see. It's just fun to tinker. I think sometimes. Right on. So, what what do you run for your guide rifle? What is it? At three thirty, but what uh, I've I've kind of switched it up between two. So um, I think anyone who knows me would know that I'm a big fan of Kimber's. I really like control round feed actions. You know, old Winchesters, Mausers, Kimber's, um, and so. I've got two, two kind of ones I've used for guiding mostly. Uh, one of them is a Kimber Montana. It's a 338 Win Mag. And that one, I had the barrel cut down to 20 inches and iron sights put on it back in maybe 2016 or late 2015. Um, and I've used that a handful 
it's been great. I love it. I beat the crap out of it. You know, it's slammed around in the jet boat on horses, used it to rake brush and stuff, calling in moose with the stock. Uh, you know, it's been a walking stick. It's been basically everything gone through a few different paint jobs. Um, but, uh, so that's one that I've used quite a bit. And on that one, I, I use a Leupold two and a half to eight by 36 scope, which is a scope I'm quite fond of. And then the other one that I've used, uh, for a couple of years now is a Kimber mountain ascent in 280 Ackley improved. And I've got a Leupold, uh, VX five, three to 15 on that one. And that's really like, you know, it's probably my favorite rifle. It's, it's kind of my sweetheart rifle. I bought that one for myself from Omer, uh, after I guided my first stone sheep, it was kind of a gift to myself. You know, that was kind of a big, I'd moved from Ontario to pursue this and, you know, took a bunch of years to be able to get to that point. So that was at the time that was basically like the holy grail of rifles for me when I was, when I was younger. So, um, and I love that thing. I've used it for all kinds of stuff. It's been super reliable. Clients have borrowed it. I had another guides client use it to, to take a Ram a few years back. Uh, one of my clients took a Ram this year with it and, and another one took a Billy with it. Uh, it's just a tack driver and super lightweight, good to pack around. So those are kind of the two, um, you know, for the 280, I think the only thing it lacks is a little bit more punch if you ever were to be in a bad situation with bears or maybe following up on a moose or something like that. It's nice to have a to have a 338, but uh the 338's a little bit miserable to shoot, so that's that's hence the heavier barrel and I'm probably going to get it set up with a with a break for the range so I can play around with it more and then uh just a muzzle muzzle cap on that for on the threads for while I'm guiding. So the 280, is that the one you're working up a load for now or what's, what are you working on? No, I'm just playing around with different stuff. Actually, a good, good buddy of mine, uh, worked up a load for that before I started hand loading. Um, and so it shoots really well. I've got a target of it. Uh, it's like five shots and it was 0.35 MOA. It's on my wall right now, but I'm shooting 145 Barnes LRXs in that, um, and they're clipping along right at 3,000 feet per second. I think it's 29.99 is the average on those. And that's proven to be a, just a lights out uh, combination for me. Super accurate. Rifle's easy to shoot. Super light. Feels nice in the hand. So I haven't actually messed around with any hand loads on that. I spent a bunch of time hand loading. I got a Gunworks in 6.5 PRC, um, which I do a decent amount of hunting with as well. Love that thing. I shoot it all the time at the range. Uh, and I just like to play around with different stuff. So I think most recently I was loading 140 grain uh, Hornady match boat tail hollow points for that. And then I've got some hunting loads that are uh, Barnes LRXs as well. And then also some um, bar, uh, Burger 156 grain EOLs, which are just a sweet load. And you're going hunting with a bow yeah well yeah yeah we'll see we'll see if that sticks it was uh it's it's a bit of a project that lauren's a work project that lauren's got going on with uh with a bow company and so he asked if i'd be interested and uh i said sure why not you know i've i've never really done that so why not get some experience what can you tell us what bow you're shooting no no it's not top secret secret. it's a oh god i'm gonna sound like an idiot here because i don't even know the model i think it's a i think it's a hoyt (laughs) vxm yeah okay nice yeah nice perfect well you have to keep us posted on how that goes (laughs) uh ironically (laughs) uh 
Have you shot archery at all before? Yeah, I spent um, probably about a year uh, shooting when I was when I was probably 24 or 25 when I lived on the island. I shot some, some just targets, shot a bunch of targets, uh, had some buddies I shot with. And then after I broke my shoulder in, in 2015, or sorry, 2014, 2015. Yeah, so when I broke my shoulder in 2015, that actually helped uh, in, in as part of my physio. I spent some time, you know, getting used to drawing the bow and, and still doing that. Uh, but honestly, I haven't touched a bow since then, so be interesting to see cool yeah it's exciting do you have your bow no, yet it's on the way so i got some like <laughs> i'm gonna have okay. to crank up the practicing here i might be setting like a 10 yard limit on myself <laughs> yeah awesome cool well hey man we, we've taken a bunch of your day today nolan and uh we could you know i feel like we just are scratching the surface but i think what we should do is we should do this more regularly just not as long and just you know touch base more often because always fascinating talking to you and love your perspective and um, just super grateful I, for those that don't know their listeners you obviously one of our co-editors with the magazine and a uh, bunch of work you know driving the new look and feel of the magazine there which we've heard phenomenal feedback on and you and pete were kind of the drivers behind making all that happen so just super grateful for all you do for the society and for conservation for wild sheep and hunting in general. Appreciate well, you. Well, thank you for having me on. It is an honor uh, for me and it's always great to talk to you two guys. And, and again, just, you know, it's, it's incredible what you guys have done with the society, all the work you do in the province. So, you know, I would think that anyone listening to this is already a member, but if you're not join, and if you are become a life member, Monarch member, throw the money in the wild sheep need it. You're inspiring, man. Appreciate you. That's Thank why we you. love you. Great chat, amigo. Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire.